0: Welcome to the Regroup podcast. I am one of your hosts, Carly Benson, the author of MiraclesareBrewing.com. And I'm here with my co host.
1: Hi, it's Kelly Fitzgerald, also known as the Sober Senorita.
0: Yeah, welcome, you guys. Um, Today, we are welcoming on a very special guest, Miss Lara Frazier. Kelly and I are both um, just in love with her. I guess is the best way to say it. Um, we've actually all met in real life, which is kind of rare sometimes for all of us sober bloggers. And we just wanted to welcome her onto the show just to share some of her wisdom with all of us. So Lara Fraser is a speaker and a truth teller, a sobriety warrior, an innovator, and a writer. She's a fierce believer in the power of owning our stories and is a strong advocate for addiction recovery. Lara shares her story of healing. In sobriety, through addiction, in life and in love, and in the, all the other big, huge moments of fear and magic that we rarely talk about, but we should. Lara lives in Tampa with her pig Peaches and her partner Austin Cooper, the founder of Sober Evolution. She received her MBA in marketing and global business from Pepperdine University. And after many years of working in the entertainment industry, Lara became addicted to prescription pills and left her career to seek help and find her truth. Currently, she is the director of marketing for Spring Gardens Detox, an amenity-rich, holistic-based, and medically supervised detox facility near Tampa, Florida. Lara continues to document her story of healing in the most authentic and vulnerable way she knows how, through her own eyes and with her whole heart. Welcome to the show, Lara thank
2: you oh my gosh I'm gonna hire you to read my bio for oh. I you read it so good
1: thank you I was just thinking the same thing you that guys I practiced pretty, that beautifully read and beautifully written <laughs> so good yeah. well Kelly and I were laughing because
0: before we started usually Kelly does the intros because she's like really good at it and I'm like all right oh, I'm,
1: I'm gonna do it today I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. well you got it down girl you're the new you're the, you're the new go-to now Carly. <laughs> Oh thanks.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I just wanted to do Lara justice because she's so awesome. Yeah. So I had to like get it right. <laughs>
1: oh my gosh. I'm so you guys
0: pretty. just Yeah, I'm so happy
2: to be here. Thank you, ladies, so much for asking me. And it's it honestly is a pleasure
0: since we've all met in real life and that's um something kind of unique and special. I know, I agree. I feel like we need a reunion. It's been, it's like been too long. I think it's been what? When was She Recovers? That was a year ago, right? Almost a year ago. Literally
1: almost a year ago, like next week.
0: Yes, it's perfect. Well, we're having our our online reunion right now then. Yes, (laughs) we are. Awesome. Well, yeah. So, Lara, let's just get right into it. Um, I mean, I read your bio, obviously, but there's so much more to who you are. So tell us about yourself, um, who you are. Um, what you do, I know you're at work right now, so we want to hear more about that. And then, you know, what do you do in your free time too? So just help us get acquainted with who you are.
2: Okay. Um. Well, I'm I'm just another human, just like everyone else. Um, <laughs> I, try, I try not to like tie myself to my labels or identities because when I do that, um, I've done that in the past and it hasn't worked out well for me. Um, but I would just say, you know, my full-time job and where I, you know, make an income right now is as the director of marketing for Spring Gardens Detox, which is a drug and alcohol treatment center. Um, but then, my other life is being a writer Um, I do have a blog and I haven't done the best job of keeping up with that I think more of what I do now is just write like a little diary on my Instagram page and that actually works out better for me Um, I I don't like I'm so many things. I have my pet pig, Peaches. Um, I'm, you know, a girlfriend, a daughter. Um, I, I like you write in my bio. I'm someone who deeply, deeply believes in the power of owning your story. And ever since I have just started slowly opening up about my own addiction story and then just talking more about what sobriety has done for me, it's really, truly changed my life. And Allowed me to be just so confident in who I am and just understand like what really matters is just authenticity and truth. Yes. Yes. Ugh. I, I
1: agree feel like with you just everything. gave us such a good, <laughs> good picture of, of you just in that short answer. Um, and of course, the bio. But yeah, so our podcast obviously is called Regroup. So we want to know what the word regroup means to you.
2: Yeah, um, I think when I think of that word regroup, um, it would involve taking a look at my life in an honest way um, and evaluating what is working in my life and what's not working in my life and then kind of regrouping all the pieces and regrouping myself um, to build something better and something that works well for me. And that's, I mean, that's a lot of what I've done with my sobriety story, but really there's just so much more to that because I don't think sobriety just has to do with giving up like drugs or alcohol. I think it has to do with a complete lifestyle change. And so I guess regroup would, would be a lifestyle change for me.
0: I love that. I say that all the time. <laughs> like to people I work yeah. with and on my blog, it's just like sobriety is so much more than not drinking or using. I mean, you just completely it, it's a natural um evolution of kind of just reassessing your whole entire life because you know, your interests obviously start to change when you knock that stuff out. And so yeah, yeah I totally agree. Yeah.
1: I think also we regroup from so many things in life, which we talk about here on the podcast a lot, not just, you know, getting sober, but also we go through grief. We mourn people and animals. Um, we regroup from breakups, from friendships that didn't work out, from losing our jobs. So it can be used in many different ways. So I really liked your definition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Too. That's, that's a very good point. Yes. It is. It's it's definitely a lifestyle change. Um, and it could be something that, you know, you choose or something that, you know, you don't really have a choice. You just have to regroup, you know, sometimes (laughs) they always say like sometimes, sometimes, yeah. (laughs) You know, you get a kick in the ass or shit happens.
1: and Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, well, you kind of touched on it. So can you give us a brief overview of your regroup story as it relates to your addictions and your sobriety and like kind of just walk us through how that started when you knew you needed to regroup and then maybe um, go into kind of how you actually did regroup. Okay. Um,
2: so in relation, like when, for me, my life's work is my, is like my sobriety and my recovery and talking about it. So I'm just going to bring that in with the regroup. Um, I guess, you know, I was a very loved child. Um, but what I found myself seeking above anything else was validation um, and caring what other people thought of me. And I became obsessed with this idea of success. So, and people being proud of me as opposed to like people loving me. I started caring more about achievements. Um, and so I found myself like even as a young child and as a teenager, like really being tied up into my identities and my labels. Um, and that, that started to bring me down. Um, but like my parents had always focused so much on education, um, and so I took a lot of time into getting good grades. I noticed that my sister was like constantly praised for getting good grades, so I wanted to be more like her, um, and I just really craved that validation from my parents. And so I, you know, I went to college, I went to grad school, I was a really high achiever, I got. I excelled in school. I worked super hard. I had an incredible work ethic. Um, but I started like when I think what happened that led me into drugs and alcohol is just like, I stopped caring so much about who I was and started caring about more what the world thought of me. Mm. Um, and like, it was more like what was the title of my career? How much money was I making? Who was my boyfriend? Um, Like, where was I living? Like, it was really about status. Um, And so when at a point in my life, when those things begin to fall, um, like, I I mean, there's, there's, my story is, you you can listen to it in other places. So I don't want to get like too deep into all the details, but I had a car accident. Um, my fiance, uh, when I was in grad school started like physically and, um, verbally abusing me, I lost a job. Um, I lost a home. I, um, I moved away from my friends, like all these things that had become my identity, I lost. And so I felt super depressed. I felt super suicidal not so su- not suicidal at first, um, but so like I started experimenting with pills. Um, I was prescribed them for a minor surgery, and then I got more opiates prescribed to me because of a car accident. And so I got into opiates, but I it wasn't like. Um, I wouldn't say I was physically and mentally addicted to opiates. Um, but then that led me into more pills. And so at some point in my life, I was prescribed um, Adderall. And it was because I called a psychiatrist and had told him that I had lost his job and I was suicidal. And so he prescribed me that drug. And when I was prescribed Adderall is when, um, like, I my addiction being um, – you know, physically and mentally addicted is when that took off. Mm -hmm. And so for, for four years of my life, um, I was, you know, I was abusing Adderall, I was abusing Xanax, I was abusing alcohol. I just basically wanted to check out. And so, um, that led me into psychosis. That led me into psych wards. That led me, obviously, into the loss of jobs. That led me into rehabs, um, the loss of friendships, the loss of relationships. Like just an isolated person. Um, and I, and so it was difficult for me to understand at that time that I needed to regroup um, or get help. Or get sober because I didn't see a way out of the life that I now had like prior to drugs and prior to me getting addicted to drugs um, I really had like this picture perfect life on the outside and people would probably look and and um, be like wow that woman's really made it but I wasn't necessarily happy and so in that life and in my life of being addicted I had to ask myself like am I is this the life I want to live am I happy Um, am I free? Like I am controlled day in and day out by the desire to check out numb and get high. And so that's when, um, with the help of my family, like I decided to really put an effort into changing my life. And so that involved like going to rehab once again, but, um, being willing to follow direction. And I, you know, I was in rehab for about, three months of that time. And then I stayed in sober living for another 10 months. And um, my life started changing, because I started to be willing, like to sit with my pain, um, I started being willing to look at my life, I started being willing to take responsibility for my actions and realize like that my behavior um, had consequences. And, and I and it was really like, There was something in me that told me like, this is not the life you want to, this is not the life you want to live. This is not the life you were meant to live and there's a better life ahead. And so, um, I guess my, my regroup would just be involved around entering recovery and sobriety. But like we've talked about before that there was so, there's so much more to that. Um, and I can discuss that more, but that's kind of how, um, I guess my regroup started.
0: Love it, yeah. So many things you said resonated. So I just have a couple other quick questions. So when did you get sober? Like when was that last time that you went into rehab and it stuck for you? Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, so that was in 2012. Okay. Um, oh no 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 no. 2000. Sorry, <laughs> I've been to rehab so many times. 2000. Um, 2000- <laughs> Fourteen what February two thousand and fourteen I went to detox and to rehab, and that's when it stuck for me okay, and the funny thing about that experience is like um is that i I didn't necessarily like want to go to rehab but i I just said yes, and usually I fight with my family more about going to rehab but I was like okay, I'm willing to go um and I showed up but but I showed up to rehab in like a fur coat um and like pink converse and I had forgotten where I was going um. Like, and I wasn't. Necess- I wasn't necessarily willing to do the work, but I, but I showed up. Right? It's like I showed up. What I, I just love the visual. There. And at least I know these guys are so. well, Yeah. And when I finally started waking up to where the hell I was, I was like, "Oh my god!" I'm sitting here in a like. What are these people thinking of me? I'm like in a. Uh, a huge fur coat and pink Converse high tops. And I'm like, I just look like such a diva. And I was, and I've been to Rehab before, so I know what I what I look like. Like to other people. And I was like, Mom, please bring me like comfortable clothes. I don't want to be wearing this fur coat around rehab. I think I've just okay. Uh, oh my
1: god, I love you so
0: much. I, I was just
1: can picture it. <laughs> I, I was picturing that and also I was it's funny you said Lindsay Lohan because I was thinking of Cat Marnell too. Oh yeah. Um nope. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. She totally.
2: like always does have her fur coats on.
0: Yeah. The other Um, thing I wanted to ask really quick too, because I I mean, I'm just, I'm familiar with your story because I've been, you know, following along for a while is like, and I think a lot of people struggle with this is, um, well, number one, uh, a lot of people think that it's not bad enough for them to go to rehab. So just kind of wanted you to talk a little bit about like, you know, maybe – the stigma of going to rehab. And then the other thing I wanted you to talk on a little more is, you know, I know you went several times. And so like, what was the difference in that last time? Um, I guess maybe your willingness, but I think a lot of people go in and out of rehab, especially when it comes to prescription pills. And so can you just talk a little bit more on both of those things?
2: Yeah. The, um, so the first
0: time I went to rehab, um, I had there were so I
2: was like a poly substance user. I was addicted to Xanax. I was addicted to Adderall, um, and I was addicted to opiates. Um, before I went to rehab, I was able to quit Adderall. Um, because I had been in drug induced psychosis so many times that I knew that if I took an amphetamine, like it was going to make my brain go crazy. And so I knew the consequence of that, um, opiates, like I could always, you know, I could quit opiates. Um, but for some reason, the first time, like I couldn't stop snorting Xanax. And so I remember, like, I had tried so many times on my own to stop Xanax, um, like, a couple years before that, and that was the one drug I couldn't quit. And I think, like, my the reason I was willing to go to rehab, um, I had already, like, broken down so many of my relationships. Um, I had moved away from L.A., and I had moved to Canada, and then I had moved back to living with my parents. Um and and i was will, and i was willing to go because i knew i couldn't stop on my own uh-huh. i had already tried all the other ways and i knew that this one drug had me hooked and i didn't know how to stop on my own and there was also the idea like i had looked um, even like in the early like 2008 or 2009 when i first started experimenting with pills i had join like online forums, um, about like how to quit, um, and how to stop. And I got support from those online forums. However, like the idea of going into AA or NA for me at that time, it was terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't like, I, before knowing anything about it, I wasn't willing to do that for some reason. It was easier for me to step into rehab than walk into a meeting. Um, wow. And I, Interesting. and I, and I, and my and it's interesting like my parents are psychologists. Um, so i don't I don't necessarily know if that had anything to do with like the stigma of rehab, but my parents were able to like they knew people um, who worked in the field, so they were able to get me into rehab. and and like, again, it was like at that time, I can't stop this drug on my own, So there is no other option for me. Right. I felt than to go to rehab. And I and I honestly thought it was going to be 30, like, you know, like the movies. Like, you're going to go for 28 days, um, and then you're going to be better for the rest of your life, and you're never going to have this problem again. And that, and that's what I honestly thought. So it was like, hey, I, if I go to rehab for a month, I'm going to be good for the rest of my life. Well, and, oh yeah, I'm willing to do that. Sign me up, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really think twice about it. And <laughs> the second question regarding, like, what worked the fourth, like – the fourth time I went to rehab, um, now that I work in the field, I think I have a better understanding of like, if someone's seeking help and seeking treatment, there are like so many different treatment centers and every treatment center has their own modality. And some are really great and some are really terrible. Um, and like, you have to find like what, like for me, at that time, I was dealing also with codependency and love addiction um, and I was and I was also like someone who had been successful in her career and I was so I was dealing with a loss of this identity um, mm-hmm. that really ruled my whole life and so the first time I went to treatment, I went to a program that was like very um it was very 12step based and there wasn't a lot of clinical work that was done. And, um, so I think like for some people that will work for them, but for me, I needed to understand the underlying reason for my addiction. And I needed to know why and how come I got addicted to these drugs. Some people think that's not important. Important for me, it was important to understand why I got addicted in the first place. And so my fourth rehab, I went in for a love addiction Um, and I also went in for like substance use disorder and for addiction. And so I think, um, and it was like a, my parents had done a lot of research, and they and it was a heavy like clinical program. And the people that I was in treatment with had similar stories, and so I think that had a lot to do with it. And I think it also had to do with the fact that I was just tired of living the life mm-hmm. that I was living, and I had like run out of options because all the stories I told myself was like, well, if I only you know if I only drink, I won't, I'll be fine. Um, like if I don't take pills, no, drinking led me back to like my drug of choice. Um, I thought, like, well, maybe, you know, um, if I take Adderall, like I only take one pill a day, like I'll be okay. And then I realized I can't just take one pill a day. So it was like, I thought maybe I also realized that I was out of options and that I really needed to do the work to be in recovery.
0: Oh, love that. Thank you for elaborating on yeah. that. Yeah. It makes so much sense. I'm fascinated because like I didn't go to rehab, you know, I didn't go to treatment. And I think there's a lot of people that don't. And so it's just fascinating to me to actually gain that perspective of of things.
1: And it's good to hear from someone who's been to multiple places and also for different things. That was, that's exactly what I was going to ask about too, because I know you've been vocal about your opioid use disorder, Lara, but you, you also talked about love addiction and codependency, which I think is important to mention.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, everything, (laughs) it really all went, I mean, it went hand in hand, too, like, because if I, even if I stopped using, um, like, drugs or alcohol, and I started, like, working a recovery program, like, I would still be attracted to these unhealthy men, and these unhealthy men, like, it would end up turning into a relapse, and so um, it was all intertwined for me.
0: Yeah. Everything's touching everything. Everything can become a trigger if we don't put things in check. So I love that. It's a very holistic thing and approach that you've taken. And I, I think it's kind of interesting too, that it probably has set you up really nice to be in the position you're in as the director of marketing for a treatment, holistic treatment facility in knowing like what has worked for you and like how to, you know, like you've gone through it. So you know how to talk yeah. to people. That's amazing.
2: Yeah. I, and it's funny, like for me, um, so I've been to so many rehabs and like a lot of the people I know and got sober with obviously have been to rehab because I met them there. But then like on like a lot of new um, ladies who I know, like bloggers um, and like people I follow on Instagram that are sober, a lot of them haven't been to rehab. And so for me, that's like the weird part is like the people who haven't been to rehab and did it on their own. Um, That's like, that's very, I don't know, it's phenomenal to me because I don't think I was able to do that. Um. And the other thing you said like about working um in treatment, I've also come to understand there so there are multiple pathways to recovery. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. I first when I first like first I was unattracted to AA. Then I was in AA for two years, and it saved my life. And then, um, but like, if people weren't in AA, I would judge them. And then I stepped away from AA, and I started doing like a holistic um, approach approach to my own recovery, and wasn't in like wasn't in AA. And I was like, oh god, people in AA, they need to step away from that and get help. And I finally come <laughs> to realize, like,
1: there
2: is like I I don't, like hmm. my way is always the best way, right? Well, that's not necessarily true. Like everyone has their own. Um, like individual path and we just need to support them in that path and offer as many different modalities and tools that that you know like that they can possibly get their hands on so they understand what does work for them and what doesn't work for them and that's like the beautiful thing and that's why I love like my job and the treatment center spring spring garden talks that I work at because I was so attracted to it when they called me because they told me about what they were going to be doing. And it was like um, just so many different modalities. And I really just felt like um, it was something unique and something that I hadn't seen before in treatment. Um, The opportunity to like, if you, if AA is your way, you know, like then we can work with you on that. But here are all these like you know, you get so much clinical work, but then all, there's yoga, there's acupressure, there's cupping, there's meditation, there's like art therapy. Um, it's just like someone finding
0: exact like their passion um, and finding their path. I love it. Yes. Preach it girl. That's what I'm talking about.
1: (laughs) I think that is so important, such an important message. And I really think there's been, and it's going to be an even bigger overhaul of the treatment industry going forward because, you know, we have so many people that are getting sober without treatment and we have recovery coaches and all of these different modalities that are working and everyone is moving forward with the mindset that, um, there are many pathways to recovery and that's how we need to tell that's what we need to tell people if the, if everyone's gonna get sober and that we can prove that sobriety is for everyone and help as many people as possible. So you're walking the walk, girlfriend.
0: I love it. Yeah. And I love I love what you just said about proving <laughs> like proving that sobriety is for everyone. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's phenomenal and I think it's great too that like j- I, that's what I always say It's just like everybody has their own path into an addictive behavior, whether it's with substances or not. You're, you know, it makes sense that you're going to have your own path and out of it into your what recovery works for you. You know, and now there's yeah. even people who are choosing sobriety who maybe didn't get to the point where they couldn't stop on their own, and they actually just made a decision um, to stop because they feel better without using substances and toxins. And so, yeah, it's just very, it's all very fascinating. And I'm so glad we're having these conversations because um, it's just, it's so important for people to understand that you don't have to wear a label. You don't have to go to AA. You don't have to go to rehab, but all of these different options are available to you depending Mm -hmm. on what calls to you. And, what's been and it's,
1: it's really cool that we're like living this right now and like that we're in it because I remember like when I got sober in 2013, I literally thought that AA was the only thing mm-hmm. that that was yeah. the only thing available, that that's the only thing people did to get sober, that, that all sober people went to AA. Um, and, and that's not the case anymore. And I think the recovery landscape has changed a lot and it's, it's awesome that we're all a part of it in our own ways.
2: Love it. Yes. yes. And you know what? I think it's important too. The other thing that's happened um, like with this, you know, digital recovery and all like us being writers and bloggers, like, and what I talk about is people are owning their stories and they're telling the truth about their lives. And there's so many more people doing that. than when I was like first trying to get sober, that it really is like creating this huge change and huge momentum um, around like recovery and sobriety and supporting all pathways. Um, I'm like, the people you know i have girlfriends who stopped drinking for the health of it um that's amazing to me because i stopped like i stopped drinking using so i was going to die if i didn't um right. <laughs> but like but like people who make that decision because they feel better like even us um like we all are on this path of growth and change of enlightenment and just being better humans and i think like that creates such a huge wave um just in the entire world, like Absolutely. us doing this work.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. Like I think when it's, we speak our yeah. truths, we give other people permission to do the same thing and and it helps people. And I love that you called it digital sobriety. I've never heard that yeah. before. I love that.
1: <laughs> what were you going to say, Kelly? Sorry. I was just going to say, I think it's fascinating that all three of us and many others came from just writing a simple blog or posts on Instagram and telling the truth, like Lara said, and that has blossomed into something so much more. And I think it really speaks to how powerful it is to be honest and authentic, especially Mm -hmm. online where so many people are not. And also it makes us very vulnerable, but like you said, it opens up everyone to tell their own stories and to be vulnerable with us. And that's how we all heal together.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because like both of you ladies, um, before I like started my blog, um, I obviously read your guys' blogs and like, uh, Kelly, I obviously read your, like saw your article that went viral a long, long time time ago, (laughs) but I still followed you. And then Carly, I remember like reading, um, I was reading your blog and I was like, it was like very, I don't know, it was maybe a year and a half into my recovery. And I was talking to Laura McCowan about you. And I'm like, do you know this girl, Carly? Like, for me, like, I was like, oh, I want to do what she's doing. Cause I saw you were like speaking or stuff. I don't know. It's just really cool. Yeah. How, like- Okay, you, you ladies helped me open up about like my own story. So wow. it is. It's like passing the torch on to other people, and it's and that's really cool.
0: I love that. Thank you. Yes. I'm so glad to hear that. That's like you know, that's what we do it for, right?
1: I love, I love when everything comes full circle. Like Here we that. are. <laughs> so, Lara, I think we we touched on how that last time at rehab worked for you. Um, was there any other? specific moment that you remember deep down in your soul that you knew this was it, that you needed to change and that you had to regroup any specific feeling or scene that you specifically remember that you want to detail for us?
2: Um, Yeah, there's one which um, was at my last treatment center um, where, as you know, I was um, in the love addiction program um, and I had been sleeping with this man at rehab Mm -hmm. Um, And they had threatened to kick me out multiple times because I wouldn't stay away from this, this person. Um, And this had happened before. I've been Mm -hmm. kicked out of two other rehabs previously to that um, because of the same reason, getting in a relationship with the guys. And um, this time... When they said they were kicking me out, I wasn't able to talk my way out of it. Like I tried to write this letter to them, and it was like a self, like poor me, feel bad for me type of letter. It was more manipulative than anything. Um, but when I realized they told me, "No, you're you're leaving. Your parents are coming to pick you up," and like my parents really were on their way. Um, and and for some reason, I was like, "Oh no, I'm not. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving." And um, they were like, okay, well then the cops are gonna come escort you off. And I said, fine, have the cops take me, I'm not going. And I remember getting in this bed cause they were holding me in this back room. And I just like started, I done like, I started really praying um, to be able to stay and for something to change and for like, just please give me this chance to stay here. And I was praying for that because what was happening at that treatment facility and in my life at that time, even though I was still acting out, um, and causing issues. I knew what they were doing for me was working and I didn't want to leave. And I fear that if I left, like I would never be able to like maintain my recovery or my sobriety, because if I hadn't dealt with my love addiction, I never would have maintained sobriety. And I knew what they were, what they were doing was working. And like, um, I had an on and off relationship with God where at times I was agnostic, atheist, um, other, you know, like other times like deeply involved with God. Um, but I hadn't, like, I hadn't much talked to God. And then in that moment I did. And I feel like that was a moment of surrender for me. Mm -hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's and that's the moment that I really like deeply remember because usually I would be like, oh, they're kicking me out. F that. F them. Like mm-hmm. I'm leaving." And, <laughs> uh, and and um at that moment I wasn't. I was like, and so what happened is my parents actually showed up because they were like, I was literally um, leaving and. Um, they talked to the clinical director and my parents said, you know, we really do like she's being honest, like we do see a real change in here. There is something different that is happening here than before. And because my parents were able to advocate for me and actually notice the difference in me, um, they let me stay. And for that, like I'm I'm very grateful because I learned so Um, just so much about myself, not necessarily all about like my addiction or my substance use, but just like, um, just more tools on how to deal with my own life. Like I went through my, my trauma. I went through, um, a lot of my background and my story that I hadn't really looked at before and things started making sense. And so that was a
0: moment that I really remember that I
2: was willing, like I was willing to do, do the deal
0: and breathe. Yes. I got the chills uh, from that story. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. I was like right there with you. I mean, yeah, I think I think for anybody listening, um, it might sound like cliche or you might think, well, I've tried praying before, but when you're in a moment of like real true surrender where your heart is really in it. I think those are very pivotal moments. That's something that happened to me too, very similar. You know, lots of people have heard my story. So I deeply understand like that moment of surrender of like, okay, please, like I'm willing, I'm ready. Like, yeah, and I can't do it on my own. I know I can't.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So we know yeah. that obviously rehab and I think you said you lived in sober living for 10 months was a huge part of your regroup story and a big part of, you know, what helped you through that transition. And so, Um, I want to ask you when you left rehab and you left sober living and now you're integrating back into like real world life and, um, maybe not as protected in your environment. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people actually end up struggling with when they leave rehab is like, okay, now we go back to our environment that we were, that we came from and they didn't change, but we did. And so what were like the top three to five things that really supported you the most? most when you're integrating back into like real life situation and environments like what did you do when you left there
2: so just I think that was a bit like just one thing. The benefit for me of staying in sober living, um, like after treatment, was to try to build the tools so that I would be able to integrate back into society. Okay. So what I did in sober living and then like after leaving sober living is kind of w- what protected me um, or like how uh, how I learned to reintegrate. Um, The one thing was that I had structure, ritual and routine. And that's something I loved. I I learned in server living. Like I learned, um, you know, I got up, I made my bed, I was able to accomplish something already just by making my bed but I woke up at the same time. I did a meditation. Um, I went to work. I had like an eight hour work day. I was working at Trader Joe's as a crew member and it was an absolutely fantastic job for me just because I was like learning how to be committed to something, how to show up on time, how to be a team member and like just how to have responsibility. Um, and the other, and then there's like, so, stru- so that structure, um, I had a therapist that I was working with. Um, so I kept working with her. I was in a 12 step program. Um, I had commitments there. Like I had a home group, I had a community of women who supported me. Um, I had built a relationship with God. That is something that is still important to me in my recovery. Um, and I don't think that everyone has to find God just to get sober, but that's, um, at all. But however, that was something that is very, was very important to me. Um, I learned the, like, what else was that? I had women friends for the first time in a long time. Like, um, in my addiction, I I don't know what it was, but I pushed women away. And um, in my early recovery, I did the same. And so I I started to learn, like, to trust women. And so I had that support group already built. Um, I read. I think I'm going over five that's okay these are amazing I love it yeah Yeah. keep going going. uh I read a ton um I got my hands on like every book I could especially regarding love addiction because that was like a huge one that I hadn't necessarily looked at until recently um but I like I I just I read um I'm I think you know that was it. Like I had a ritual and routine. Like I, you know, I woke up at the same time. I medit. I, I did a meditation. I I spoke to God all throughout the day. Like I had my um, my twelve step program in that community, and then I had all these women friends that I had made to, um, who were sober too. And I I knew I could call them. And like after those ten months of sober living, like it wasn't. Scary. Um, maybe I felt a little alone when I first left because I was used to being around like 10 other women. But besides that, like um, I had learned the tools to be able to like live on my own. And um, I had started to build a life that I didn't want to escape from. I started to build a life where I had tools to deal with things that came up that didn't involve (laughs) drinking or using. Um, and I had already like passed the test where I would have all these cravings, um, to use or to drink or to abuse something or to, um, like go after some man. And I didn't, act on them and so I learned how strong I was and like by not acting on my cravings or my obsessions eventually they started like diminishing and they started getting smaller and so I think like I really you know the only thing I didn't do that well was exercise um <laughs> which I think I wish I could have done that's important to me now but I really like threw the book at it and I tried everything I read poetry I remember I read Rumi um like and I would like you know highlight everything in there and relate it to like my recovery and my sobriety and my own life and um I was just constantly working on myself and I wanted to be better you know I wanted to be better than I had been those last five years and so I was working to achieve that.
0: I love that you gave some really good tips and tools also I just realized um we've talked a little bit or you've mentioned a couple of times love addiction. And so mm-hmm. if for anybody that's listening, what, what does that actually look like? Like, you know, how do you know if that's something that you're struggling with? Like what were a couple key indicators for you to know that's something that you were struggling with?
2: Um, so I, one thing is that like, if I didn't have drugs or alcohol, um, I noticed that I wanted a man or I wanted male attention. And so that's like, I got high off male attention. Okay. Um, that's the other thing that happened to me is that like in, in, um, treatment, they asked me to make this like relationship history. And so, and I had to look like, like what would basically happen my whole life is like, I would get out of one relationship and then I would get into another one. Or, and, like, I would always have someone kind of on the back burner, and so when I started, like, looking at my past and seeing my relationship, like, my pattern in relationships, I started realizing, like, the issue that I had, Um, if you, if you're, like, I think... Only you can define yourself as a love addict, but right. if like if, you, if you're waiting, sitting there, talking to some guy who you've known for two weeks and are obsessed that he's not texting you back or are thinking about him twenty four seven, then you might have a problem. If you'd only known for two weeks, you know, yeah, like mm-hmm. things like things like that. Like you could, you almost know, um, you can, you can. It's there. You might not want to admit it, but it's there. But there are also, like, tons of books. Um, Women Who Love Too Much by Robin Norwood. Um, I love, I think it's called... Women, Sex, and Addiction by Charlotte Casal. Like I read a lot of books, and so that also helped me like understand. And Codependent No More was a good one about codependency, um, and facing codependency, facing love addiction. Like there's all these books, and if you start reading them and you start identifying with that, then it's likely that you have an issue with love addiction.
0: Okay, awesome. We'll, we'll be yes. sure to link those in the show notes. Yeah. I just was yeah. like thinking, I'm like, we need to kind of define this, I think, because obviously we know what it looks like for substance addiction but codependency and love addiction are um you know other avenues where we can have addictive obsessive behaviors it's, you know yeah. yeah
2: it's very similar in that obsession like for me like when i'm addicted to drugs like i'm constantly thinking of drugs like the first thing i want to do in the morning is you know get high like so right. when it has to do with love addiction, like I'm constantly thinking of this person and I'm putting this person above myself and I am obs- I have obsessive thoughts about them. So that it, it looks a lot like the obsession looks very similar. Got it. Okay. Yeah.
1: I'm glad you took the time to define that and give us some examples Lara, because I feel like I definitely have experienced some of those or all of those things in my life as <laughs> I well. I know,
0: me too. And they were
1: very intertwined with my alcohol and drug use too. And I feel like... Like I definitely used male attention as a way to escape as well. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I have a, a, like four different guys texting me and wanting to hang out with me. And it like keeps, it kept my mind busy, you know, at that time. Yeah. You yeah. Don't have to worry about whatever your other life problems or whatever life is throwing at you at the moment. So I can see it, how it's similar it really is to drugs and alcohol.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Thank you. I just, you know, wanted you to define that a little further. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 You sense. Carly are like, oh my God, that was a, <laughs>
2: I think a lot of people, like, would say similar that they, like, but it's, like, that's what the other thing is, like, I don't, it's, like, love addiction, love isn't a bad thing, so it's, like, how can you be addicted to love, but it's more, like, the obsession that uh, you're addicted to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or
0: choosing just wrong relationships because you think the other person uh, makes you whole or, you know, something like that, and just realizing that, you know, you got to be whole on your own before you Mm -hmm. can... You know, be with somebody else is kind of what I've learned along the path. Yeah. So,
1: yeah.
2: yeah. And even in recovery from addiction um, and in recovery from, like, love addiction, like, you have to understand how to be lonely, how to be miserable in that loneliness, and then how to, like, move, like, sit with that loneliness and feel it. Like, I don't think I could have moved past all this stuff if I hadn't stayed with that loneliness. If I had tried to escape that loneliness in any way and not felt
0: it, I don't know how how I could have moved forward. Oh, I love that you said that. That's something huge that I think a lot of people don't realize. Um, Love addiction, any kind of addiction is you got to learn how to sit with yourself, you know, and I struggled with that for so long to where I would have anxiety when I was alone and hated being alone. And now it's so funny because on the flip side, after like working through that, like you said, and sitting through the loneliness and like, you know, learning how to actually really enjoy my alone time. I, it's hard for me to not want to be alone. Like you got to be better than my alone time
1: now. (laughs) Right. I totally agree. I felt that exact same way. And I think that's what most people are doing when they, you know, drink in excess or use drugs in excess. They're trying to not feel whatever it is they're feeling, whether it's grief and heartache or, um, you know, just being mad or upset or not being able to deal with life and whatever's happening. So I think that's spot on.
0: Yeah, I yeah. always say this one quote, and I don't even know who it's by, I should find out because I say it in my yoga classes all the time. And it's that, you know, at the end of the day, we get to decide if silence, which basically is being alone, is loneliness, or if it's freedom. And when you realize that it's freedom, that is a game changer.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah, I love that. Awesome. And I had that same transformation. Like I, especially at the end of my addiction, I could not even like sit in my house alone, like ever. I was like, I, "What are you doing? What are you? Where are you going? What are you doing? I want to do something. Let's go out to di- dinner. Let's do this. Let's do that. Whatever." And finally, when I got sober, I was able to learn how to be with myself. Because I had to learn to love myself, mm-hmm. and now, like you said, Carly, I love being with myself, and it's one of my favorite things to do. Me be alone. Too.
0: Yeah, like you got to yes. kind of pry me out of my my space <laughs> to get me to go <laughs> out me or too. do anything. I love it so much. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So, I, go
1: ahead. I was just going to ask you, Lara. I know you mentioned already that you know, recovery has become basically your full-time job with spring gardens detox. Um, so how else has, has, you know, your regroup and your recovery changed your life and made you who you are today?
2: Yeah. Um, so for one thing, like what we were just discussing, I think it allowed me to realize what, like, honestly, like what an incredible human I am. Um, and I think all of us are incredible people, but I don't think a lot of us realize it. Right. Like, um, Mm -hmm. I was, I was always, um, more like, so yes, there's this arrogant, there was this arrogant part of me too, but that arrogance was masking insecurities. Um, and, and I didn't a lot for a lot of my life. I didn't want to be alone with myself, um, because I didn't necessarily like who I was, or maybe I didn't know who I was. And so, um, by in trying to like Become who I was meant to be. Like I took on false identities, like we talked about before. Um, It's like my career became my life, my grades became my life. Um, How much money I was making really mattered to me. And like I had to, um, I think I in in this regroup and this sobriety and this recovery, I've I've kind of understand like what makes me happy, what I'm passionate about, what I love. So words, poetry, writing, reading um, like spirituality, um, exploring that, having this, a relationship with God. Um, it's, it's allowed me to learn to be incredibly kind, compassionate, loving, empathetic. Um, I have a huge heart. However, I'm also like this woman who has boundaries, who can say no. Um, like I, I, protect my space. I'm very transparent. I'm honest. Um I I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings in my own actions, but I have to learn like how to be honest and take care of myself first because uh, like I I didn't necessarily know how to take put myself first. Um, I was doing everything to please other people. And so now I realize that when I put myself first, like it sounds selfish, but it's actually like it's loving because i'm i'm taking care of me so i can be a better person in like in the entire world in the community and i think um when you learn like what an incredible person you are and you learn to take care of yourself and you have standards and you have boundaries um and and you know how to deal with like fear or grief from loss um or addiction like all these things make you so strong and and they change every aspect of your life like my family relationships are so much more incredible i Truly, truly realize how important my family is. They unconditionally loved me through the worst parts of my life, and they were the people who were constantly there. And they say, like, they helped me save my life. If it wasn't for them, so now, like, I realize how important family is. Where I didn't, I loved my family, but I didn't realize how important family was. Um, I am a much better friend. Uh, Like, I can be honest with my friends. I'm committed to them. I have like a small circle of people because. I don't need like tons of people around me. Um, but like, and I'm a better, like, for example, in this relationship that I'm in, and now I'm the best girlfriend I've ever been. Like, <laughs> um, I don't get angry for no reason. I'm not jealous. I trust, like, I love, like, I love, I let him do his thing. I do my thing. And when he's doing his thing, I'm not like obsessed. Like, does that mean he doesn't love me? Or like, why does he want to spend time with me? Like, I'm not selfish in my relationships anymore. Um, I'm like in my, uh, you know, my job, um, isn't my whole life. I say no to things that could, um, bring me like more things that I cared about before, like more power or more money or more success because my thing that's important to me is my peace, um, and my sanity. Um, and so I just like, it's, everything has changed in my life because I made the decision to stop um, using drugs or alcohol and that was a bigger decision I think it's like saying yes to your life and realizing like you you do deserve something better and there's something better out
0: there yeah I mean you <gasps> nailed it it's just every aspect it. of life changes for the better and it's yeah. just such a beautiful process and it's a really natural evolution of things yeah like, all that stuff kind of I mean you got to work at it but it it kind of naturally evolves so thank you that's amazing
1: and I think so many of us don't realize that that's really what sobriety is when we're committing to it. I think most of us go reluctantly into sobriety and we're like, ah, oh, fine. Okay. Whatever. Like I have to, it sucks. And then you real you have this epiphany and you go through this transformation. You're like, say things like it's saying yes to my life. And that's exactly how mm-hmm. I feel about it too. Yeah. And it's just yeah. beautiful.
0: It can be so empowering. <laughs> I just read an article not that long ago that I keep sharing with everybody, like my clients, and <laughs> everyone. And, um, it's this guy, his name's James Clear and he writes all about like habits basically. And he's very, um, like research based. And anyways, he puts an article out and, um, it's, it's the difference in our languaging. And, um, so it's, it's instead of saying I can't drink or use drugs, it's just, I don't. And how mm-hmm. empowering that difference can be and that, you know, this whole recovery thing that we kind of keep, um drilling home is is so important because it is empowering it's empowering yourself to live your best life and to be that magnificent human that you really are
1: yeah yeah
0: so I wrote yeah. all that I wrote that down so I can look up.
1: I'll I, I did too. Oh, I'll send it to you guys. I'll link it. We'll
0: link it in the show notes too. I'll send yeah. it to you guys. It's so good. Um, and he actually backs it with like research and everything. Um, he, he uses, um, an example of, I think it was to get people to work out. Um, but yeah, the languaging actually, it really proved a, a point that the language that we use is so important. And, um, yeah, so, um, I want to get into, before we start wrapping things up, um, Lara, what are the, like, the best three pieces of advice you've ever received? Recovery-related, life-related, it could be in general, anything. Like, What are the best three pieces of advice that stand out to you as kind of pivotal pieces of advice? Um, one uh, that
2: I keep saying over and over uh, that I learned this year from um, someone in my professional life was the devil you know and this said okay this don't relate this to addiction but the devil you know is better than the devil you don't and how I think about that is like um sometimes I'll want things to be like so different than they actually are um like or I'll want different different people in my life or I might want um a different experience and and I don't necessarily realize like how great I have it now because I'm grasping for something that I don't know about. And so um that's one thing that stuck out to me. And that's like more like in a professional, uh professional basis yeah. this year. Um another, let's see, pieces of advice. Um God, I don't like listen to advice for <laughs> very
1: well. And is there a reason for that? Elaborate. Um, <laughs> Maybe I, uh, if I, I,
2: advice, like, because there's no one thing that sticks out to me. Um, and like, there's no one phrase that I can think of like advice wise. Um, I think like uh, one piece of advice is like, just tell the truth. Yeah. Tell the truth. Like, um, and that advice, like that's something I think of every single day um in in all of my affairs, is tell the truth like um and telling the truth has really like um uh been a really powerful thing for me, and the, Kelly, the reason I don't listen to advice, um maybe I think I know it better than other people, but I don't. <laughs> um but that's like one of uh, the issues that I have or you know like I think I can do things my own way and um or um or maybe it's that I finally trust the idea that um I listen to my intuition and it's like when people give me advice like I appreciate it and I take it in but if that's not the advice that feels right for me then I don't have to listen to that advice yeah um and and so maybe it has to do with like relying it has to do with relying on something bigger than that which is for me like a like great right god um and so if I need advice um I turn like I have a spiritual practice and prayer for that and and um I think when I'm seeking advice sometimes too I'm I'm seeking like more confirmation um mm-hmm. for like yeah that's what I'm looking for
0: I love that yeah uh, so I'm terrible with this question. No, you know what? You just did what you said. Like you tell the truth and you just told the truth in the answer of the not, question. I actually I love have it. a
1: question about that. So what would your advice be for people who maybe are not at the point where they feel like they can tell their truths or they're they're full of fear or what is your advice to people to help them tell their truth?
2: Um, yeah, so I, there's definitely a point where like, I could not like in the beginning where I <laughs> didn't have that intuition or that trust. Um, my advice would be to find, you know, to only take advice from people who are living lives that you want to live. Um, so mm-hmm. trust people who are wiser than you or who are people who have gone before you and have been successful. Take that advice Um, in regards to like, for me personally building, um, intuition and trust, like I, it had to do with building a practice of prayer. And I, and I found that practice, like first through reading poetry, um, like through reading Rumi, because I realized like the God that I had envisioned, um, before wasn't necessarily the God that I believe in now. And so I Mm -hmm. found my own perception of God and that really helped me, um, or, and, um, I I started like just believing in things that were bigger than me because when I like even if it felt fake to pray like or not authentic or not real I did it um and then it started like revealing itself to me that you know prayer works and this is real and I and there is this connection um and and so I started to trust in that and so I think, like as we practice strengthening our relationships um, and and growing in our lives, like we we build that intuition and trust within ourselves, and we don't have to rely on other people as much to make decisions because we have the ability to um, make the right decisions for ourselves.
0: Nailed awesome! It. Yeah, thank you. That was so yeah, perfect. It makes perfect sense. <clears throat>
2: i don't even know
0: if i'm making sense yeah i know yeah. you are i love that and i just love that you answered it honestly of like i don't really listen to advice oh, yeah. <laughs> there you are you're putting it into practice of like being a truth teller and i love it it's perfect yeah. all
1: right cool awesome yes
0: yeah. so I guess just to kind of wrap things up, why don't you tell us, you know, like, what are you up to right now? How can we support you? I think I read in your bio that you're working on a nonprofit of some kind for women. So I'd love to know more about that. And then just let us let us know how we can, you know, find you. Where do we find you? Okay. Um,
2: find me on Instagram at sillylara. Lara. Um, that's, like, where I post most of my stuff. I have a blog, too, larafrasier.com. Um that nonprofit Carly, I wanted to do that like a year ago. I need to remove that from my bio because that's not like I'm not working on that. Okay. <laughs> okay. All you, right. know true. Working, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm working on? Like that, uh, Kelly knows this too. So yes. obviously, like I have my full-time job. Um, but I really want to write my memoir. I really, really do. It's calling me. However, I'm not quite ready to make the commitment um to cause like I feel overwhelmed right now, like with my, with my life and my work. And so when I'm not like on the weekends, I, um, I want rest. And so I'm choosing that over <laughs> writing, but I really want to work on my, mem- my memoir. How do you say that word? Memoir? Kind of a tongue.
1: There you go. Yeah, right
2: yeah that's right. Memoir. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of starting to work on that. Um, just, I mean, support me follow my instagram you know subscribe to my newsletter read my blog share my stuff um that's a, that's a, that's about it yeah oh, and if you need help obviously if you're like struggling um and you really do want inpatient treatment please do feel for, feel free to reach out to me because now that i've like worked in the industry like i can um help with matching people to the right program, like, and listen to what their
1: needs are and try to find something that would work for them.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank awesome. You That's for really saying helpful. That. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I think cause... we
1: both probably get a, many people that ask about that. I know I do. So I'll definitely keep you in mind.
0: Yeah. And I think yeah. it's just good for people to understand that there are resources and that you're not alone and there is a place you can turn. And even if. Um, the place that you're at maybe isn't a perfect fit, you can at least guide people in the right direction. I think that's what stops a lot of people is they don't know what their options are, and so they just stay stuck because they don't know where to go, they don't know what to do, you know? So yeah. use Lara, reach out to her, yeah, follow her. Yeah, that's I'm very comfortable about. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: yeah, follow me.
0: Yes, and please do <laughs> honestly. Her Instagram is like always on fire. Yeah, she yeah. she writes really. Beautiful she's stuff. a truth teller. Yeah, as as yeah. we've witnessed here today. So, know
2: so what I've been doing is only like writing on my Instagram. Um, when I like actually feel like writing, I'm not trying to, and and I used to I like used to try to produce more stuff just so I could like build this following and now I'm just kind of writing only when I feel like I have something worthwhile to say and so that's actually working better for me than I love that <laughs> than before yeah,
0: yeah I get you I'm I'm the same I mean I I try to publish like once a day because I actually and back in a space where I enjoy it but I had to check myself a few times which we actually talked about social media on our last um, Regroup podcast so um, if you're curious about our thoughts about that listen in to that one and um, thank you so much Lara for joining us today honestly this is probably one of my favorite conversations that we've had me too
1: yeah thank you for inspiring me and so many others and keep doing the work and I love to watch you and follow you on your journey
2: I feel the same about both of you and but that really means a lot so thank you so much for saying
1: that yeah of course
0: thanks for joining us you guys be sure to go follow Lara and um we'll see you next time
1: yes we will okay bye guys next time we